0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek episode four hundred ninety-eight for Monday, April 21st, 2014.
1: Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geekab, the show. Well, we come together every week, share your questions, answer your questions, share your tips, share some tips of our own. Every now and then we do some cool stuff. Found the goal with all of it is to learn many, many new things each. And every time we get together, this episode is sponsored by Rage Software's EverWeb, the excellent iWeb replacement and really more than that at everwebapp.com. And this show is sponsored by Lynda at lynda.com slash m g g. Using that link, you can get a free seven-day trial to access all of their training videos. We'll tell you more about both of those in the show. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How's Fairfield, Connecticut to, to uh, today, John? Uh, it's doing pretty good. That's good. That's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Looked out the window. Uh, every uh, Yeah, no, no local disasters.
1: That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's sunny here. It's still way colder than it uh than it normally would be this time of year, but uh, but the sun's out. We've had a couple of couple of nice sunny days. So that's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. We're still chilly chill here. Yeah. It's freezing. Freezing overnight. It may
1: have frozen overnight yeah. here too. Yeah. No. All right. Oh, spring's coming. Spring's almost here. That's, that's right. It is, well, right? yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, every year I am reminded of Tom Lear's poisoning pigeons in the park, uh, as spring comes, comes along. But, um, but that's just because of my twisted enjoyment of such things. Show 500 is coming up, John. We're in four ninety eight here. 500. Is it going to be in two weeks, less than two weeks? Uh, most likely because we do our shows typically on Sunday. Although next week we might wind up doing Monday again, John, I'll, I'll talk to you about that because of my crazy mm-hmm. weekend schedules. Uh, but, uh, either way. So, uh, John and I have been tossing around some ideas, and uh, and we asked on Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus uh, for you folks to send in some ideas for what we could do for uh, for Show Five Hundred. I am still curious to hear what you folks have in mind, so send us those. You can send them in to our feedback at macgeekab address. John, did I hear you right, Dave? I I, I believe you said feedback. At MacGeekGab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address that we will hear. If you want to call one and you can call it to 206 666 geek which is 4335. That it is. And as I said, you can find us on uh on Twitter too at MacGeekGab. So yeah, if you have any ideas about uh about what we can do for show five hundred, you know, we we had um We've done some interesting things with with previous shows, and we've got some good ideas. But but throw them at us. And and honestly, if there's more than good ideas than fit into one show, we have some other interesting shows coming up. Five twelve isn't too far down the road, and that's a actually far geekier number than show five hundred. So so there's some special things happening. Here. <laughs> oh, good observation. Yeah, yeah. So all right, uh, with that in mind, let's uh, let's dive right in. Leon writes. Uh, he says. My question is file vault, Hyder, disk image. You guys have talked about all of these. What are the best use cases for each, specifically in terms of encryption? what works together, what doesn't? problems with backing up to time machine or crash plan or anything like that with any of those? I'm just looking for some clarity if you guys could help to clear up my aging confusion all right, Leon yeah, so um a great question because all of these can take your data. And encrypt them if, in fact, you set them to do that. File Vault and Hider it's sort of built in and part and parcel of what they do. Uh, uh, disk images uh, can be used with or without encryption, but in in theory, all of them can keep your data safe. So, what are the differences? File Vault is full disk encryption. Now, File Vault Two is, and, and we haven't really dealt with File Vault One in a long time. So, uh, when we talk about File Vault on the show, it's always the current incarnation, which is File Vault Two, whole disk encryption. Um, once you are logged in and at your computer, your disk is still in the data on the disk is still encrypted, but the OS has unlocked it in such a way that it doesn't feel to you as though it's encrypted. You just get to use your data. There is no barrier to getting through that encryption once you're logged in and everything is up and running. So uh, the machine is definitely uh, protected with with file vault when it's off or asleep but when it's on and you're using it, if somebody were to grab your computer from you, uh, and wrestle you away, they have access to all of your data as though it were not encrypted. So bear that in mind with file vault still, I think it's a great thing. And I, I highly recommend using it on every laptop, uh, out there. There's, there's no reason not to, uh, it works very, very well in pretty much every instance we've tried. And, um, And minimal, if any speed impact and and all of that good stuff. So, so definitely worth it on laptops, you know, in terms of desktop machines, that's your call, you you know, with a laptop, you're out and about, you're rolling around, there's a much greater chance of the machine falling into someone else's hands than, than there is with, with a machine that's sitting inside your snuggled in your safe home. So, so that, Mm -hmm. that's, that's my feeling on. On File Vault, uh we'll move on to the others, but John, I want well, to check in with well, there, you on File Vault first. Well,
0: I, I I would say, Dave, there's a, there to me, there's only one potential downside
1: to File Vault. Okay. And that's if you forget your password. That's that that that's a valid thing. That's true with any kind of encryption here. That's right. Yeah. Um now Apple does an interesting thing with File Vault. Uh they give you the choice of having them store your key uh, on their servers Uh, and in, and in doing so uh, it it, it actually, it's a little, it's a little misleading in a good way. My thought was, no, I don't want to store my key on Apple servers because then if Apple servers get compromised or somebody subpoenas Apple and they, you know, I mean, not that I do anything wrong, but you know, there's that whole thing of somebody could wrestle this key from Apple in theory. And in fact, that is not truly the case because your key itself is encrypted with Apple and only unlockable with the answers to three security questions that they secure your key with. So if you don't have the answers to those questions, there is no way you can unlock the key because the key is encrypted with those answers. So that, that it's, it's not a bad safety net that Apple has put in place. It still leaves it fairly secure. Yes, the key is stored with Apple, but it is encrypted. And in theory, only, you know, the answers to those three questions. Now, if other people know the answers to the three questions, then it doesn't matter. (laughs) Then, then, then it's, you know, then, then you're back to square one. Uh, I wonder if they were inspired by Monty Python because someone in our chat room said,
0: uh, uh, did a little quote here. Anyone who wants to access the key must answer me these questions
1: three. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll say now hello to the offer, chat room. Uh, Com slash stream. So go ahead, John. Sorry.
0: Now, the other thing that they, they do also is that during the process, at one point, they will put up on your screen a big, long hexadecimal mess. Right. Which is the key. And uh, you may want to print that out and maybe store it in a safe place as a backup
1: backup strategy. Yep. Yep. They they advise you not to store it online anywhere for yeah, un- for, oh, well, for understandable <laughs> reasons. Again, though, you, you know, if you take that key and encrypt it and store it somewhere, it, as long as you know, you it, it, the, the linchpin is if someone else knows any one of the keys that gets you. Through that path, then, then yeah, but yeah, so that that's true of of any of these these solutions. So, Hider uh, and disk images basically serve the same purpose with different user interfaces, and and that's not entirely fair, but but it's close enough. Um, Hider has the, is an app that runs on your Mac, uh, and it's you just dump data into it, and it deletes the data from your drive. And, or throws the data in the trash and and uh, and empties it. I believe no, it actually doesn't empty it yet. They may they may add that to it, but it throws the data uh, into the trash and it. But it renames it first so that it doesn't appear in Spotlight searches and all of that. Uh, but then your data is in this Hyder data store. Each individual piece of data is stored separately. It's not pumped into one big Mondo database um, with Hyder, but the user interface makes it feel like it's in one big Mondo database, which is helpful. Uh, in terms of just getting at your data. But it is this sort of custom uh, interface. Works very, very well. And the nice part about hider and disk images is that you don't have to unlock the door to your data just to use your computer as you do with File Vault. So if you've got specific bits of data that you want to make sure are very secure and you don't need them up and accessible full time, then hyder and or a disk image works very well. Hyder's UI is sort of this automatic thing. Disk images, um, you, you've got to you've got to mount the disk image and then figure out a way. The the data is now just files, so you need to open those files in some other app, which is what makes hyder's user interface very very nice to use. The nice part about disk images is I could create an encrypted disk image here, and as long as say you know the password, John, or I give you the password via some secure method. I could send you the disk image. You don't need to download any additional software as long as you have the disk image or on a USB stick. You can mount it on your Mac if you know the password. So there's some portability there in that disk images are baked into the OS. So that's the. um, I I think that covers it. Did I miss anything, John? Did we miss anything?
0: Um. No. They they provide yes, as you you know, an additional layer of uh, protection. Um. So, you know, say, say you are sitting at your computer and doing your thing and someone sneaks up on you and bonks you on the head and then takes your computer as you're logged in. And after you've entered your password, these provide an additional level of protection, which uh, if you need that sort of thing, then those are, those are the ways to go.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Works well. So.
0: The only thing I would suggest um, is that you may want to also um, and this. uh Security and privacy general require password immediately after sleep or screensaver begins. I highly recommend people do that because they basically protect against a situation where you are logged in and your, your machine is you know, open to the world. Um, if you're going to leave your machine for any amount of time, I would strongly suggest that you, you know, sleep it or, you know, lock it.
1: Yeah. And, and there are options to, um to, to to managing that right you know if you, if you go into and I believe they're both in an energy saver um, no it's not an energy saver they've moved it all into the security uh, and privacy tab or uh, uh, preference yeah. pane sorry yeah I just mentioned the one path there yeah, so yeah. it's in uh, general so. in general right 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 good stuff all right Let's, uh, let's move on to, and I use, I use uh, all three, frankly, John, I use disk images for data that um, like, like things like quicken files and that sort of thing that I want to have secure. Um, Hider is great for like little bits and pieces of data. So, um, you know, my, my, my path is always morphing because there's new things available. So it's like, let's see how this integrates. And Hider is, Hider 2 especially is fairly new to me. So I'm still trying to see how that might uh, integrate for me. So there you go. All right, John, you want to take us to Troy? Absolutely. And
0: Troy writes, Hey guys, sorry for calling it the right click menu born and raised on windows. So old habits die hard. (laughs) (laughs) I I still say right click on occasion (laughs) as well. So, and he says, when you see a link on a page, and in this case, he's talking about a URL, a URL, Yep. On a web page. When you see a link in a page in an email, et cetera, and you want to get the full URL behind that text, you two finger press on the trackpad to bring up the contextual menu and you say copy link. But when you paste into an email or a document or messages, it pastes the text with a link behind that text. So I need to go to Safari, paste the copied link in the address bar, then recopy the URL there to get the actual URL into the message, email, et cetera. Is there a setting to change the copy link behavior upon pasting from the clipboard to remove the Safari step to speed up the process? Excellent question. And something we all run into. Yep. And the answer is yes. Now, it's not so much a setting, but it's an additional option that you're going to see in the menu. And I actually ran into this, Dave, not trying to do this, but actually uh, you'll also run into this if you try to copy a list of files from the finder and then paste. Yep. You may also find that the behavior is not what you expect. And I've run into this, yeah, when I was trying to do that, doing the workflow for preparing the show. Uh, Because sometimes I want to copy the names of files from the Finder and not the files themselves. So what you do is, or at least in text edit messages and uh, most other programs, if you copy a URL and then you go to edit and say paste and match style, that will paste the URL rather than the text of the URL.
1: Um, that's true if your message is in uh, plain text mode, but is that also true if your message is in rich text mode? Um, Cause some people like to, sh- you, you know what I'm talking about? Some people like yes. to, to leave their messages by default in rich, t- rich text mode. So let me see. I'm, I've got it here. Uh, no, either way. It you, What you said is correct, John. E- either way, it will just paste the URL in, in, in mail, which is actually sort of misleading. Because if it, if we're saying match style, it should match to the rich text and, and go. But it's actually kind of nice because if you just paste normally, it matches the rich text. Um, so there you go. Right? Yeah. So that that's it. That solves that one. Yep. I like it. All right. You know, uh, Leon had such a good first question. That we uh we he had a second one and we're gonna let him uh ask that too. Is his question is can you run non-server apps on OS 10 server or do they need to be on separate Macs in the respective OS 10 versions? That's it's a great question. It's 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 not a it's the premise of the question is is flawed, but don't take that the wrong way, Leon. Uh I totally understand why you ask it. OS ten server really isn't a different version of OS 10. What server is, is it really is just an app or a a, a set of apps um, that you install into the normal OS 10 client that give you graphical access to your, uh, to the the server components that are in everybody's copy of OS 10. So you could go and do all the things that you're doing with server on OS 10 client without paying the whatever it is. Is it 50 bucks still for server? I think it's even cheaper, right? It's like 30 bucks, it's um, 20 bucks, now. 20, bucks. that's it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, you can go do all those things. It just means you'd have to go to the terminal and, and monkey with the command line to, to get all those things to happen. Whereas server, uh, the apps that, that comprise server do all that for you in a graphical interface, that's all that server is. So now that we know that the answer to your question is, You can run, you can run any app you want on OS 10 server because it really is just OS 10 running uh, the server apps. Now, depending on what kind of server and what kind of load you're running, uh, you know, you may find that uh, you've got various, uh, you've got cars behind you, don't you, John? Uh, You may find that you've got various things that are, you know, chewing up a lot of RAM in the background all the time because you're running a mail server or something like that. But but other than resource uh, contention, for, for lack of a less geeky term, uh, yes, no problem running, running any app you want on OS X server. Uh, am I, did I miss anything there, John? Um, I'm with you. All right. All right. Well, then that's that. Shall we go uh, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Well, what I have going on here is uh, uh, it's now motorcycle season, and and apparently uh, some people that operate motorcycles uh, aren't quite aware of uh, what a muffler is for.
1: Mm. (laughs) Pretty sure that's what that was. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have windows open today or no? Is it still too cold? No. No. Okay. All right. No, but I'm close to the street. Yeah. uh, Right. Well, it's like in the summer when the, uh, you know, I think. Even though my thermostat doesn't subscribe to my Mac geek Cab calendar to set the, the temperature in here, although I want it to, uh, which is alluding to a little bit of pre-show discussion that we had, I need to get some kind of thermostat just here for the studio it doesn't it, for, for reasons we won't get into it. It really doesn't make sense for me to go the whole nest route. And I, in short, I have way too many zones to make that economical, but, um, but some kind of thermostat here. So, despite the fact that my thermostat doesn't subscribe to the Mac Geekab calendar and set the temperature in the studio ahead of time for me, uh, I believe that the uh, folks that that mow my lawn do subscribe to the Mac cab calendar, as we remember from last summer. And every mm-hmm. single time mm-hmm. we would start recording, the mowers would right under the window. So, all right. Anyway, uh, the caffeine's kicking in. Can you tell, John? Yes. Yeah.
0: Outstanding.
1: Right. I know. Shall we? I can't believe this stuff on? is legal. I don't drink caffeine often, um, uh, and it 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 impacts me greatly. But uh, anyway, go yes. Moving on to EO Lake. try some uh, try some Nodos. I'll be some real fun,
0: concentrated caffeine in a pill. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Yeah. No, nah, yes, you are. I, I, I don't. I'm good. <laughs> so I know my limits. EO lake Yeah, I hope got that right. You did. And he writes and says that he has a Mac Pro. I think the 2009 model, and this will be important in a second here. So we he okay. said, I installed Mavericks on a FireWire 800 mounted SSD and migrated, migrated to it. It worked great for about half a day. Then I went away for a few hours and I put a virus scan uh, to work on the new disk. When I came back, the Mac was Black. I think he means the screen was black <laughs> and I haven't been able to wake it up. I unplugged it, replugged it in, disconnected the new drive, held down the power button for over five seconds. Nothing. <sighs> he may be able to locate another machine to work with that drive, but do you have any tips on how I might bring the Mac pro back to life, please? And I think I do, Dave. Go. So my experience on many desktop Macs, including now, the, the, this is the interesting part here. Uh, so many Mac pros have a backup battery in them. And oh, last I checked, right. this backup battery, in addition to storing data, like, you know, the time and the date and all that fun stuff also powers a circuit that detects when you press the power button, or at least my last dealing with backs that had the backup battery is that if you pulled out the backup battery, then you couldn't turn the Mac on anymore. <laughs> so, uh, other than a failed power supply, I would suggest that he uh, he does that. I, now, yeah, how do you know now? now the, but this gets into an interesting uh, technical issue here, Dave. So I wanted to determine if his machine did, in fact, have one of these backup batteries. So I fired up uh, one of my favorite utilities here, Mac Tracker. Yeah. So I brought up the entry for the Mac Pro early 2008, looked under connections and expansion and okay. For the 2008 model, it lists under the power section backup battery, a three volt CR2032 lithium coin cell. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Sure. Then I went to the entry for the early 2009, Dave. And yeah. according to Mac Tracker, it doesn't list a backup battery for the 2009 machine. Huh. That's funny. So I'm like, let me try another data source. And so here's what I did. And yeah. this leads to a, a tip within a tip. So what I did, Dave, is I searched Google for Mac Pro 2009 user's guide. And the first entry that comes up is something at this site called manuals.info.apple.com. Fair enough. And looking at that document. So number one, uh, Apple offers the manuals for, you know, uh, all of their products uh, through that site. Or you can Google it. And so I Googled the user's guide for that machine, Dave, and uh, sure enough, if you look in the table of contents for this machine on page 74, they have an entry replacing the internal backup battery. Oh, interesting. So what makes me kind of sad is that MacTracker in this specific case is incorrect in that they indicate there is no backup battery, but I'm going to trust the user's manual. So I got to write them and just let them know about that. They do a lot of good work there, but it must have been a typo is all I could imagine. So um, I'm, that's uh, again, unless the power supply just spontaneously failed, that is what I would try is uh, replace that battery. Because those things. Yeah. I mean, they will die.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they will. No. And it you're totally right. I, I had that in an older uh, iMac where, you know, you just couldn't turn it on. And it was like, oh, yeah, no, just replace the battery. And that's what we did And it was totally fine. So, yeah, yeah, that's I totally forgot about that. Resetting the um, SMC is another thing I would try. And I I don't I, I maybe I'm definitely dating myself here. I think this was true of only the PowerPC Macs. And I and I believe his is in fact, I'm certain his is not a PowerPC Mac. That's an Intel one. But but they they had that motherboard reset switch. I don't think the new ones have it um, to reset the SMC and then the old Power. Uh, Power PC ones, they called it the CUDA reset switch, C-U-D-A. But um, but I think doing the battery thing is is the right move um, in this particular case. Nice find, Mr. Braun. I like it. I like it, I like it, I like it. It's good. Ah, all right. Uh, I want to talk about our first sponsor, John, which is Rage Software's EverWeb at everwebapp.com. And uh, EverWeb is... It It's well, it's an it's an app that you run on your Mac that allows you to build web pages right there on your Mac in a very easy way. And it really is built as an iWeb replacement. Now, it, it does way more than what iWeb used to do, but uh, but it it's it's built in that spirit, right, where you're doing this very easily. It feels it truly feels like a Mac app, Um uh, and and it but it's got way more than than what iWeb has. But it will import your old iWeb sites, which is really really handy. In fact, they have a uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But they have a an iWeb importer tool uh, and a migration kind of. They've got a, a whole thing on their website to kind of walk you through the migration from your old iWeb site to to doing something with with EverWeb. So I, I highly recommend that you check that out. It's awesome. Uh, they've got. Master pages so that you can set uh, a theme for your site and and put your content in and then change the master page and all your all your stuff changes without you having to actually go and 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 you know redo all your content. They've got uh, templates and ways to build for mobile devices now, which is great. Uh, they've got drop down menus that you can put in, so you don't have to worry about figuring out how to code a drop down menu. You just put it right in there. And, you know, the folks at EverWeb or sorry, the folks at Rage Software who make EverWeb are true SEO experts. It's what they've done. They've been building SEO software, search engine optimization software for the Mac for years and years. And so baked right into EverWeb is uh, a lot of their SEO stuff. So if you if you build a website this way it's going to be tagged properly it's going to be built properly so that the search engines like what they see and that's a really huge thing uh you know we we talk about this obviously a lot at Mac Observer and y- you know th- there's two there's two level well there's many levels at which that you can go through with with uh SEO stuff and a lot of it is this snake oil kind of you know well if you do this trick then a search engine's going to like you that's not what I'm talking about here The first level is just making your pages happily viewable and parsable by the search engines. And if you don't do that, then they're not, there's no snake oil necessary. They're not going to see your content or at least not going to prioritize it. But if your pages are built correctly for search engines, then they will. And that's what, uh, what's one of the things EverWeb does too. And it's building things with HTML5 and CSS3 and all of that stuff. Once you've got your site built you can publish it direct to uh, your FTP. So if you've got a DreamHost account or, you know, if you're at Pair or wherever you are, even if you've got your own server, you can just publish right up there. And then they also have uh, their own EverWeb hosting for 99 bucks a year where you just publish directly to EverWeb. And it's m- more of that sort of iWeb experience because it all just happens inside the software. So they've got widgets if you want to have audio or video or PayPal on your website or Google plus integration or Google maps, they've got all these little widgets that you can just pull right in. So, uh, and they've got great support and great tutorials on their site. So check it out. This is uh, everwebapp.com and it's uh, everweb from rage software. So go check it out. You can get a free trial. And uh, even once you buy it, they've still got a 60 day money back guarantee on there. So, uh, so don't wait, go. It's uh it's awesome stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, I love seeing companies that, that come and make things uh, for the holes that Apple leaves in our world, because Apple got a lot of people into web publishing with iWeb and then, you know, it just doesn't fit Apple's mold anymore. So they just sort of moved on past that. And uh, and I'm glad to see Everweb with uh, or Rage Software picking up the slack there. So thanks for sponsoring the show. Please go check them out. And with that, John, I think it's time to uh, to move on to Francis. And uh, as we head into the time machine section of our show here, John. So uh, he asks. I've used Time Machine. My question is, is I use Time Machine uh, to back up all of my stuff. And I have uh, a hard drive with four terabytes of information. However, when I look inside uh, uh, this Time Machine backup, there are a bunch of dated folders inside. In fact, there are 24 dated folders plus one called latest. I don't actually understand how Time Machine works as each of these folders appears to be a full copy of the original drive that it backed up. This would add up to be hundreds of terabytes, but obviously it can't be because the drive really only holds four terabytes. Uh, What what do I do? What's going on? How does does Time Machine store all of this data in one place? Okay, so Time Machine, it doesn't have hundreds of terabytes, obviously. Um, What Time Machine does is it stores data I'm going to, well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Ali, uh, what do we call them? Aliases, right? Yeah. Um, time machine doesn't use aliases, but it's a, it's a good, uh, way of understanding. So you can, on your Mac, you can have, uh, say, you know, your, uh, application, you can have pages sitting in the applications folder, which is where it lives. But let's say you want to link to pages on your desktop. You can make an alias, that lives on your desktop and points to pages. Now that's not uh, another copy of pages. It's just a pointer to it. Time machine uses something like that, but at a, at a deeper level, it uses something called hard links. Now an alias points to the original um, as, and, and everything knows that it's an alias, right? So the app, it's not pretending to be the app, it's an alias pointing to where the app is and then the, you know, that that's that. With hard links, what happened and, and uh, I guess I should back up again, John, and explain the whole directory uh, thing quickly. So when you have the, in, in this case, you have pages saved on your hard drive and then there's the table of contents for your hard drive. And in the table of contents is a listing that says pages. And this is where it's stored on the drive. Now, then we add the alias to it and the alias points to the listing in the table of contents, which then points to where um, where it is on the drive with hard links, which is what time machine uses. There's that there's no intermediate pointing. So if you create a hard link uh, to an existing file, it points directly to the file as though it, it it's an equal citizen to the main directory entry for it. In fact, so equal that. In this case, they're the same. So if you delete the first one, the second one remains and holds on to that file. And this is what Time Machine does. So it creates every time it starts a new backup, it copies all of the links to all those files out there and puts them in as new links so that any directory, any way you look at Time Machine always points to the actual data where the files exist. And that makes it really easy, as you said, no matter where you're looking, you're not navigating through a bunch of aliases. You just see a folder that has all your files in it, which is great. Um, So that's how Time Machine does that. Uh, And then when you delete one, it doesn't matter because it's not it. The file itself won't actually be deleted until the last entry of that file goes away. And that that's how Time Machine sort of does and, and automatically gets all that cool stuff. Am I explaining that well, John. It's a weird concept. It's just multiple directory entries for the same file there. That's better, isn't it? I think I got it. Great. Hopefully our listeners got it too. It's a, it's a hard concept, but really what it is, we're just duplicating directory entries. The time machine is duplicating directory entries for the same file. So that's how it does that. And, and you know, when you delete one directory entry, it's not going to overwrite the file with something else because there's another directory entry pointing to the same spot to that same file. So that, that's what's going on there with Time Machine. So no, it's not duplicating all these files and making your disk you know, somehow magically larger. It's just the same file and everything just points uh, to the same thing. So that's, that's Francis's question. And it's a nice lead-in. The problem is, I will say this, um, HFS+, Plus, which is Apple's um, file system, does not actually support hard links. Now, this goes contrary to what I just told you, where Time Machine is using hard links to make these files work. Well, when Apple built HFS Plus, they knew that some people, probably from the command line, occasionally were going to need to use hard links. So they built a system uh, that hacks hard links into HFS Plus, and it actually stores them in something that approximates a text file. So. And it works fine if you've got, you know, a dozen or a hundred hard links, but no one that built that original system ever thought about somebody that would use it for thousands or hundreds of thousands of hard links. And especially they didn't expect that somebody else at Apple would use the system that way. But that's exactly what they did when they built Time Machine. Hard links were the right construct to use in a general sense. And uh, and so that's what they did. I don't know if they, they must've known that there was this hack given that it's, it's a mark. It's remarkably stable, uh, given that the, it's this hack, but it's not a good thing. And this is why, this is one of the main reasons I don't trust time machine. I mean, we see that it gets corrupted all the time, but, um, but you know, that's, uh, so, so that's, uh, that's how it works. Um, and for better and for worse. So uh, leading into listener John's question, he says, I've run into a problem with time machine about two months ago. I get the message time machine. Couldn't back up to my disc that I've had for the past year or more in the details. The error asked that it be fixed with disc utility. I tried that and disc utility gave me an error saying live file system repair is not supported. So I thought that this was because the disc was mounted as the time machine backup. Uh, was in place. So I shut down Time Machine and then Disk Utility was able to verify and ultimately repair the drive. About a month ago, the same thing happened again, only this time Disk Utility could not do it. So I used Disk Tools Pro and got it back up and working. For each of these, there was no explanation as to what was bad or what was going on. Monday, the same thing happened again. So my question is, is the disk drive bad? And if so, or even if not, would reformatting it work and can I make a backup copy of the data on the disk and then copy that back after reformatting? And then he asked some other questions that are along the lines of, is there something wrong with Time Machine? And is there any way to stop this from happening in the future? So knowing what we know from uh, talking about Francis's question, John, there is something fundamentally, I don't want to say wrong with Time Machine, but but fundamentally iffy about Time Machine, Right. And, and so, and it's always mucking with the directory in a non-standard way. So that's what's happening here. So what do you think about all this, John? Do you think this guy's drive is bad or what do you think?
0: I would say off the top of my head, it sounds like maybe the corruption was not entirely repaired and it's creeping back.
1: So it may be, yeah. Yeah, I I I I think reformatting I don't it's possible. It's always possible that the drive is is physically damaged, but I I that's not a guarantee given the symptoms he's seeing. I think the symptoms he's seeing are just caused by all of this file system work and 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 like you said, yeah, the corruption sort of builds. So, I think I do think reformatting would fix this one for him. Uh, it means losing all this time machine mm-hmm. data but that's what we always do with with time machine we all, we're constantly having to rebuild these backups to keep them stable and this is why i yeah. think because I, I, I had something
0: recently where actually on my macbook pro after i had you know done a fresh install of mavericks i actually got at one point an error from disk utility saying dude your drive's shot you better reformat it and i'm like no 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 so i actually rebooted went into recovery did disc uh, utility uh, repair from recovery and the problem went away huh yeah it was funny because uh, yeah like like i said disc utility at one point said dude your your drive is beyond repair you got to reformat and then do a restore and i'm like "Mm, i don't want to do that (laughs) though i could have because i did have a recent backup but um yeah the thing, i mean you know directory links and directory repair i mean that that stuff gets really tricky because uh you know again it, it, even though the utility may say it fixed everything it may not have yeah 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 um which is why you should always have multiple backups is uh we're going to say it once and we're going to say it again. And we're going to say it three times
1: <laughs> have multiple backups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know, I was reading through the chat room here, John as as we were having this discussion to see what, uh, and this is the benefit of, uh, for all of our listeners of, of having a, a subset of you and, and a very geeky and knowledgeable subset uh, at that here with us in the chat room is, as, is uh, as we get some real time feedback. And so I, I was curious about our, our time, my time machine, uh, hard link explanation, and uh, uh, NCU, I don't know, and NCSU, CPE uh, said something that that might help crystallize this. Uh, he and or she, uh, I guess it would be he or she, it's not a he and or, uh, said it's like two people pointing to the same piece of paper. Uh, and that's a great way of, of looking at it. You know, we're not going to use that paper for anything else while uh, any one person is pointing to it. So you could have 100 people pointing to it. Um, and then as, as that file expires from older backups or whatever, you know, less people point, but until there is no one pointing that space is not considered free. So that's the, uh, perhaps yet another, I always like to explain things several different ways. This goes kind of back to our consulting conversation about making sure the customer understands. So, so there you go. So thank you. All right. Ah, so there we are, John. That's, uh, that's our time machine tour. Do you, uh, you want to take us to uh, Andrew, something that, that everyone might benefit from and is far easier to understand?
0: Yes, I benefited as well because I initially didn't know the answer. But awesome. now I do. <laughs> so Andrew writes and says, just one question, which I seem to be finding conflicting information about. If I am surfing the web and I want to have that content show up on my television, Am I able to use airplay to view it on my TV instead of my iPad fourth generation? Now, number one, I read that question and off the top of my head, I'd be like, well, no, that just doesn't happen. Then I looked and the title of the question was Apple TV. Right. Cause I didn't know if you had, if, if you're just saying, can an iPad just beam it into my TV? The answer is no, <laughs> but if you have an Apple TV, then the answer is yes. Well, Probably yes. And what you do want to what you want to do, Dave, is you want to. Well, here's what I did is I found this handy dandy article called iOS use airplay mirroring. And it lists the following conditions here. So so what he wants to do is is uh, airplay mirroring. Now, it depends on what devices that you have. But he uh, and, and it lists the, the various devices, uh, whether they be iPhones or iPads or Apple TVs that will support airplay mirroring and his devices are new enough to support this. So that's great. Um, But it's not immediately obvious how you do it. But this thing, you know, it's a tutorial and it basically shows you. And and the key here is what you want to do is you want to take the device that you want to mirror the content from, uh, swipe up from the bottom of the screen to access the control center, and then you're going to see AirPlay. And when you click on the AirPlay icon, you're then going to see a list of the devices that can receive AirPlay content. And what he should see is
1: the Apple TV. Yeah. As long as you're on the same network, it, uh, it appears or as you said, right. And that's
0: the, yeah, I'm sorry. In the tutorial, that's the condition. It says connect your iOS device and your Apple TV to the same Wi-Fi network. So you have to do that. And once you've done that, then, you know, the rest of the steps here, you can, you could do it. And, you know, I've tried it, you know, now that I have this uh, shiny iPad, though I can do it with my iPhone five as well, because they're both new enough to support this. And it's a really handy feature.
1: Yeah, I think it needs to be an iPad 3 or newer, right? In order to do... Uh, Their
0: guidance here is iPad 2 or later. iPad 2 or later. mini or later. Thank you. Or iPod Touch 5th generation or iPhone 4S or later and an Apple TV 2nd or 3rd generation.
1: Okay, so iPad 2 or iPhone 4S or newer. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Or even the iPod Touch. I didn't know that. That's kind of neat. Oh, the iPod Touch is a uh, yeah. I mean, a, a, again, fourth generation or newer, right? Or fifth, they say. Yeah. Oh, fifth. Okay. It needs the the, um, the dual core processor, I guess, is what what it comes down to to do the mirroring. Yeah, good stuff. Fun. I um, you know, we use as I mentioned years ago when we got the the Apple TV initially. We use it all the time. Um for for this you know like like i took some videos my son and i were out yesterday and we we were playing we we had collected over the years a, a, a menagerie of remote controlled flying things you know little copters and quadcopters and planes even and so we were outside t- and i uh, testing them all because we were it was like we've got too many of these things and some of them probably don't even work anymore so we tested them all and and threw away about 80% of them But while we were out testing them, we were filming, you know, these things because it's fun watching things fly in the air. And uh, and then last night we were sitting on the couch and it was like, hey, actually, we were standing in the kitchen, all huddled. The three of us, uh, my daughter's out of town, but the three of us were huddled over my iPhone kind of looking. And I said, wait a minute, this is stupid. And we went and sat in the living room and put it up on the big 60 inch screen. And, you know, now Mm -hmm. full 1080p. Look at that. Awesome. Just streaming direct from my phone to the to the Apple TV. Yeah, is great.
0: I would say for me, that's the, uh, I, I'm still torn about the Apple TV as a consumption or purchase device. Uh, um, well, the thing I use it most for is mirroring. Yeah. Sure. I mean, especially, you know, if you've got video or, or yeah. pictures or something on, especially on the iPhone with, you know, it's tiny little
1: screen. Uh, it's much nicer to throw it up on, on my H D T V. We actually wound up watching a movie, um, where we have HBO because of our cable package. And, uh, and so we, we watched a movie on, Uh, HBO streaming, but we did it via the Apple TV because the UI there is so much better than trying to do it via our cable company's box. And it doesn't matter. You know, we, our account is active on both. So, um, so yeah, we, we use it, you know, um, we had, as I, as I said, a lot of this was sort of a solved problem for us um, before the Apple TV really became a, a mature enough thing to make sense. But more and more I'm finding that the UI of these things on the Apple TV is better than the UI of them on any other device. And a lot of times it's really cool because you can sort of control with your iPhone and get things going and then put your iPhone away and it's streaming direct from the Apple TV. So it is good stuff. And I'm seeing on uh, TMO while we're doing this, that uh, they just added a and E history and lifetime channels to the Apple TV. So more and more stuff is available there. It's getting better.
0: Yeah. I actually yeah. have now, I think, um, so a lot of cable companies now like ABC, I can view ABC content for the mm-hmm. ABC shows that I like. Yeah. I wish they would. Yeah. I think there are a few things that we wish they would add, Dave. I think one is Plex. Well, <laughs> yeah. <nice>. Yeah. Please. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, I don't know if they're ever going to do that. And, and the other thing is, uh, that actually locally now we have, um, uh, red boxes promoting a service along with Verizon, uh, But it's not offered on the Apple TV device, at least not yet. That'd be nice if they did that.
1: Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Because like I was saying, I mean, someone in here, uh, I'm not talking about the cost of the device. I'm talking about the cost of of purchasing or renting content. Uh, I don't think Apple necessarily has the most competitive prices,
1: but it's handy. No, they don't. You're right. But, but if you're subscribed to various things, Amazon or, um, oh yeah, I, you yeah. know, or, or, or sorry, uh, Netflix and, and all that stuff, Hulu, the UI on the Apple TV is, is awesome for most of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it really, and you know, it's, I mean, you can get them refurb for 79 bucks. So uh, it's, it's, you know, it's an impulse buy mm-hmm. sort of, I impulse bought a, uh, a new, uh, HDMI capable receiver for our system yesterday. I got so sick, especially with the new TV, you know, our, our receiver current one was like 14 years old or something. And it works great. It it does most of what I need, except it has no HDMI inputs. So uh, it has digital audio, you know, optical in. And so I had to get this mono price switch box that does something that I don't think is quite kosher. I don't know, but uh, it takes hdmi in and has four inputs on the one i have and then it will send hdmi out to the tv which is great and optical out full you know 5.1 audio to the receiver uh which which has worked great but with the new tv that's constantly i need we constantly needing to reset this switch box and it's just the, the incompatibilities or the 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 syncing between them all and so finally i i decided All right, this is stupid. So we we ordered a new Pioneer receiver that has like eight HDMI inputs and just be done with it.
0: I'll have to send you a link. I think what you really need is a $50,000 HDMI cable. I actually did get a mail from Amazon um, because I searched for one a little while ago. I was Mm. searching for outrageously priced HDMI cables and then one and then the cream of the crop came to me. They sent me one and it was $50,000. So it does come with free shipping. Nice
1: yeah it was like six feet <laughs> pretty sure that 's not going to solve my problem <laughs> no, no. <It's laughs> hey crazy uh but you know there are uh great things out there and uh and one thing I love is to learn and that 's why i'm want to talk about that 's why i 'm so happy to have our second sponsor uh on board here and that sponsor is linda at linda l y n d a dot com slash m g g now, what is Linda? It they have put together and are constantly putting together new videos, training you in all kinds of things. Uh, you know, certainly the tech stuff is covered. They've got training for Mavericks if you just want to learn more about Mavericks. And I have I learned more. I, w- I it was the thing that uh, when this sponsorship started, and I went into to Linda and started learning about stuff. I I watched the Mavericks video; it was very well done. And uh, I believe that was the one done by Chris Breen. And uh, and I I learned about using tabs in the Finder. Now I knew they were there, but a lot of times, you know, when you're looking over at your geeky friend's shoulder and they do something and you're like, whoa, whoa, hey, slow down. How did you do the, you know, th- this something they do automatically. That's what it's like with Linda, especially with the computer stuff. It's like you get to look over your favorite geeky friend's shoulder and learn about this stuff. And once you see it happening, then it really makes sense. So reading about tabs in the Finder, yeah, whatever. As soon as I saw it, I was like, whoa, whoa, why am I not using this? And now I use it constantly, right? So this is the kind of stuff, but you can get way more in depth than just learning about Mavericks. Not that there's anything wrong with just doing that. You can get really geeky with final cut pro or logic or even iMovie. Um, They've got, Tips and tricks for the iPad, but again, you, you know, not only do you get to see the speaker and 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 really feel the personality, but you're also uh, cutting back and forth and seeing their computer, seeing their desktop uh, while you are while they're talking about this and truly walking it through you both visually and audibly, and it's awesome. It really is fantastic. So check it out: lynda.com/mgg. Um, you get seven days free and you could watch 24 seven on that if you want. And that includes watching, uh, you know, streaming to your Mac, streaming to your iPhone, streaming to your iPad. So whatever you want to do there, 24 hours a day, seven days, you are golden. So you could set up a massive learning, uh, thing. I recommend getting a lot of caffeine if you're going to do that, but, uh, but that's just me, you know, um, but after that, if you're, if you, you know, you don't want to just totally compress into the seven days, use the seven days to test it out. And then it's, it's cheap. It's 25 bucks a month. And then you have access all the time and you don't have to worry about staying up for seven days straight just to compress everything in. So check it out. dot com forward slash M G G. And that starts your free trial. Go check it out. We love this stuff. It's great. I love the way it all just comes together. So let's, uh, you know, John, that that's a great segue for us into the tips uh section for today. And uh, and it's a good time to go there too. David uh sends in a uh a comment here. He said, uh, "You mentioned finder tabs and using command clip to command click to open folders in tabs in the last show." It may be worth reminding the listeners of the inverse. If you have multiple finder windows open, you can merge them into tabs. There are a couple of useful keyboard shortcuts for tabs. The previous tab is control shift and tab. And the next is control and tab. Uh, so yes, thank you. Awesome little tip. I love this stuff. It's good. John, you got a tip from, uh, from anybody you want to share here? Well, I think we may have missed uh, the wizard. We, oh, we, we, didn't we didn't miss people. anything. We're in tips now. So do you have Christina's uh, tip ready to go? Okay. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. We, we, all right. There's an item on the list here that I, I don't think we addressed.
1: Absolutely. We're in, we're in okay. tips. I'm, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Sorry. All right. I'm uh, all right. Let me, let me get, all right, well I'll do, I'll do a second tip. while you, while you find those, um, no, I got it. I got it. Scott oh. writes, and, and this is an important one because, uh, because it, 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 we've heard a lot about this. And so uh, Scott, uh, many listeners have written in, I'm not going to read Scott's question actually, because it's, it's a little long, but the transporter uh, from connected data is a, a product that we've all, that we've been talking about for a long time, over a year. Right. And, uh, and John and I have the, the original transporters, which are the ones with the hard drives in them. And, uh, and especially now with the the version of the software, uh, it's gotten pretty mature and, it's really stable for us. We've, we've been using it quite a bit. I've been using it a lot with the bands that I play in and moving big files around and and have had no troubles, especially in the last six months or so. However, the transporter sync is a newer product from them, and we're hearing a lot of listeners uh, writing in. Uh, to us about having things, you know, not working quite right with some hard drives and uh, not working quite right with syncing files in a, in the right way. And certainly we had one guy that was disconnecting drives from it and connecting new ones, which is not exactly prescribed behavior. And he was losing data, but that's not all that surprising because you're disconnecting drives and the transporter doesn't really know what's going on. But, uh, but I will say this, uh, research the transporter sink, uh before you start using it and, uh, and make sure that you check with them and that you're using a drive in the way that it is supposed to be used. Uh, my guess is that like the original transporter, it'll take a little while and then the software will come up to date and then everything's going to be smooth again. But, uh, but I, you know, the original transporter, the one with the drives built in, I've, I've been having no troubles with it at all, but, uh, but watch out for the sync. Um, And uh, I know they're they're probably not going to be happy to hear us say that, but uh, but that's it doesn't matter. It's our job to tell you guys what to look out for. So watch out for the sink. And thanks, Scott. And many of you. Pilot Pete, in in fact, was one. uh, Allison was another. A lot of folks writing in uh, about some just wonkiness with the sink. So PSA, be careful of that. All right, John, you want to take us to Christina there? Yes. So Christina
0: writes and says, I have a tip. Awesome. That I haven't heard you discuss on the show recently. I have discovered in the About This Mac More Info window on the right-hand side two sections, Support and Services. The Support section gives you the ability to quickly access the Mac user manual, and the Services section gives you a quick way to find out if you are still covered under AppleCare Warranty. I've been in Apple tech support for many years and just discovered this a few days ago. I thought it may be Mavericks only, but was pleasantly surprised to find it on my older Macs as well. I find this invaluable for many of my customers and tech support. Sweet. And I would agree. And as a follow up to that, because, you know, when I I clicked on some of these links here, Dave, they looked very familiar. And I think that they draw on the same database or support structure but there's another place that you can go and I've done this and I'm sure you've done this as well, but another place that's worth going to to where you can get some of this information as well. Like is your product supported and all that is supportprofile.apple.com. Um, and this is where you can register your products and it's going to show you some of the same information here. Like for example, is it still covered and how do I get tech support and all of that great stuff. So, um, that I tossed that one in as well. But yes, yeah, awesome. I, I, I never yeah. thought of clicking on those those links in the in the window. I think you and I have seen them for
1: years and I just never bothered. You know, I have been using that more frequently lately with this kind of this upgrade path or the upgrade experiment that uh, that I started talking about in the last show. And I specifically I have a lot to say. In fact, a lot of you have had a lot to say uh, about it and i've i've got all that queued up we'll do it in the next show i figured we we'd go a couple of weeks before we we sort of revisited that but um but going down that path it's uh the 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 about this mac thing uh has become very very handy because i can quickly pull it up and see all right what what's what type of drive is it seeing my whole drive i did a ram upgrade on a computer it's nice to just see it visually broken out what ram you know how much ram is in each ram chip and all of that good stuff um and yeah those those support and service things are right there and uh it's pretty awesome it's not a bad it's not a bad ui not a bad ui at all i like it so uh so john donahue johnny d as we like to call him over here at backbeat media called me the other day and said uh he's coaching a uh baseball um team this year as he, as he does every year. It's great. He dedicates his time to the kids and it's awesome. Uh, But he said, you know, in the past I've put together uh, a a group in my iPhone of all the parents' cell phone numbers. And that way, if there's a change to the practice schedule, I just go to that group and I send to it. And he's like, everybody knows to be responsible because if they reply to the group, they know everybody in the group gets it and all that stuff. But, uh, but he says, it's really great. He said, this year I have more parents uh, than I did last year and I am unable to add all of them to the group. He says I have about 25 and he says I think I get to the 20 number and it just stops and it won't let me add more. So we dug around and in fact yes, on the 5, the iPhone 5 and 5s five there's a limit of 20 per a uh, an MMS group cuz not all these people have iPhones so it's not all iMessage. Um and uh, a limit of 10 on the 4 and 4s. Four I'm not sure why those limits exist whether they are there's a technological reason for limiting them Or if there if it's just a a limit because you don't want to create a great opportunity for spammers. So uh, in the uh, in the messages in MMS, there is a way to uh, this is in the messages app, not the mail app, but in the messages app, uh, there is a way to get past this 20 person limit. And uh, and so what you do is you turn MMS off. You go into settings uh, and you go in to messages. So, you know, you scroll down settings, messages, and then uh, and then you will see in the section at the bottom, there is an MMS messaging toggle. Turn that off and build your list of the 20 uh, or 25 people uh, and then send a test message out and then you can go turn MMS back on. You will not be able to add any more people to this group after the first time in regardless of whether you toggle that thing or not but you could just copy them all and paste them into a new group and and kind of go through this hokey pokey and and add more so uh so that's the trick if you do need to create a a text message group of more than 20 people on your iphone that's the tip so thanks johnny d was good stuff fun uh fun researching that we got a couple of uh a couple of tips, John, from, uh, from product vendors. So it, obviously self-serving in a, in a way, but, uh, but helpful. So, you know, we filter through these, but, um, but these are, these are good stuff. Ian Schenkel, who's the CEO of Eurosmarts, great guys. Uh, I got to meet him at Macworld last year. They weren't there this year, but, uh, but they're great guys from, from the UK. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, I thought I'd get in touch to see, uh, to, to let you know uh, that, our Print and Share from Eurosmart, Eurosmartz e u r o s m a r t z will solve the printing issue with the new MS Office apps. The new MS Office apps for the iPad don't let you print. It says, uh, seems there's a lot of noise out there about it, and we already have the perfect solution. Anyone can print to any printer, not just AirPrint. It's really quick and easy to do. All a user has to do is open up Print and Share, tap on SkyDrive or OneDrive now, uh, and choose their document and tap and print. All your documents from uh, from Word and Excel and all that stuff are saved to uh your OneDrive account automatically and that's how the new apps work in uh the, the new Microsoft apps on the iPad so you just launch print and share there's your documents in OneDrive choose it and print that's it so thanks Ian good stuff and we'll put uh we'll put a link to uh to print and share there because uh in the show notes because that's how uh that's how we roll so we love those guys at Eurosmarts. They make Alta Mail too, which is uh, a killer, hyper advanced mail client for um, for the iPhone. So, have you checked out? Have you checked out any of that stuff, John?
0: Not recently. Okay, don't do a lot of printing from my uh, iOS devices. But, right. Uh, no, it's good. They fill in a gap there because I think AirPrint is one of those things that never quite co- totally caught on. Right, right,
1: <laughs> that there's not a lot of printers that have it, so yeah, I mean, there's more and more now, but but yeah it's it's you know it's like i, I get why Apple did it because it's easy. if somebody certifies it into the airprint thing, then they don't have to worry and and all of that but um but yeah, it's good, so uh, remember a couple of shows ago, John, we were talking about uh we had we had a couple of listeners in fact that had contacts that were just local to their iPhone and they were trying to figure out how to merge them right to iCloud. Yeah. That can be a can of worms. Yeah. Well, Vic from DigiDNA DNA, uh, again, you know, I told you we had a couple from, from manufacturers. So, or from developers. So, uh, they put a blog post up how to solve this using their, um, their, uh, using their software, right? So using disc aid, which is their, um, it's an awesome piece of software. We've talked about it a couple of times, uh, John, you know, and it, it lets you interface with your iPhone, you you plug it into your Mac and then you can pull all sorts of data off of it. And you can use this to get your contacts into iCloud. Now it does require a little bit of hokey pokey, but the software actually allows you to do it. So you go onto your, you plug in your iPhone uh, and there's an article that explains this, but the gist of it is, uh, you plug your iPhone in, launch disk aid, find the contacts that are local to your iPhone, which you, you do. You you click on uh, contacts and then you have three tabs and you choose the the local uh, one, not the iCloud one, not the Facebook one, and uh, highlight the contacts and export them to V cards. And then you import the V cards onto your Mac, putting them in iCloud and boom, you're done. That's it. So uh, so again, we'll put the a link to that blog post out there. But that's the. uh that to me, that's the magic answer. So, so there you go. Good stuff. Right, John. I think that's the, nice. I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, A, a couple of weeks was, it? it was probably a couple of months ago, John, Uh, that we heard from Tony and he sent us a note uh, about an article at Meta geek that said, uh, and we'll put a link to the article that Meta geek put up. It it said basically that you shouldn't, you know, we were talking, so it was, it was in response to us talking about uh, if there's a lot of Wi-Fi interference on or not interference, but a lot of other Wi-Fi stuff happening local to you. If you live in an apartment building or somewhere where it's a fairly densely populated and there's a lot of stuff on channels one, six and 11, Apple's utility Will suggest that you use channels two or seven to squeeze in between those channels, and it 's not perfect, of course, but at least you 're not sitting right on top of where everyone else is you 're trying to like squeeze in between and this made sense to us um, and on the surface, it still makes sense however, um, these folks at at Metageek did a big study and effectively said yeah here 's the issue though." if you uh squeeze in between instead of just competing with one radio you're guaranteed to be competing with two um uh as, you know uh, in there and that's non-optimal you're better off competing with one because the two uh radios will sort of negotiate and and figure out how not to step on each other. But if you're sitting in the middle, then they're not going to do that. And you're going to wind up with actually more interference and lower throughput. And it seemed suspect. It seemed reasonable enough, but also suspect enough to me that uh, that I didn't want to just come out and, and tell you folks about it. So we asked our our expert friends. We asked some of the the really smart folks at, at Buffalo uh, who we know. And we also uh, I reached out to Alf Watt. Who used to work on Apple's team uh, d- designing the Wi-Fi hardware and software that that we all use in our Macs and iP- iPhones and all that and airport base stations. And uh we got replies from them both. And the net is, yeah, that's probably right. Uh it's different depending on whether the base stations can see each other, right? Sometimes the client will be able to see both base stations, but neither base station can see each other, right? Because of the way the, the range works but in general, yes, this advice is, is right. So you don't want to find the channel in the middle. You want to find, uh, you want to just pick one, six or 11 and deal with it. Um, despite the the fact that you're having to live where there's interference because you want to let the radios do their job. Uh, Alf did go on to say that uh, one, obviously one, six and 11 are the best. Six is the worst because you've got interference potentially, if someone does choose two or seven, uh, you've got interference on both sides of you potential. So if you, if you have to pick uh, the lesser of all evils, pick one or 11 and that way uh, you're on the edge and, and there's no interference either below. There's one side of you that's not going to have interference. So thanks guys. Thanks for all of that, that help. And like I said, we'll put that link in the, show notes so you can read the crazy geeky article about this um, whether or not did you read the article John I'm digesting it okay (laughs) so that's that's how that works and it's uh, it's in the it's in the show notes now so one six or eleven on your on your 2.4 gigahertz wireless even if it means overlapping with with something pick the pick the less the least of all evils and for that i i still like eye Stumbler. uh it shows me what i need to see and that works well and it's still written and maintained by alf so that's uh that's good enough for me is there is there a, is there a different tool you use john
0: um actually what i've been using as of late um and you may want to check it out dave i, yeah. I uh, you know we've mentioned it in the past here but um NetSpot. Has a uh, site survey, uh, or I'm sorry, has now has a feature in the latest version that'll show you uh, information very similar to iStumbler. Ah, interesting. It okay. also is a site survey tool, but they they added this. the The initial version, I believe, that's all it really did was a was a site survey, which is a, you know certainly a useful thing to do if you're uh, you know running into uh, Wi-Fi performance issues
1: and want to get the big picture. Yeah. Uh, ah. Huh. Interesting, interesting, interesting,
0: yeah, I have it on my Macbook here, yeah, but I'm looking at it, so you start it up, it tells you about Netspot pro, so they make a pro version that does even more stuff, but then it'll show you, yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now, and I'm seeing all the uh all all the things uh surrounding me here, right, right. I am running into a weird issue, which i'll have to get back to uh everyone uh I'll spit it out here, and we'll we'll see if it gets. A, uh, I've been noticing more of my uh, local Wi-Fi. So we have Optimum online here, and they also have a, a number of Wi-Fi hotspots. And one thing I've been noticing as of late days is as they add more of them in my neighborhood. Yep. Um, if I get home and I look at, for example, my iPhone, I will see that it is logged into Optimum and not
1: my local base station. Oh, because you have one to- of those accessible from, or or it reaches into your home.
0: Huh. I. I don't believe that they
1: are making one available from my base. Not from your base, but there's, I mean, there's one that's close enough that, that you can, you can get it in your house.
0: Huh. Yeah, the, the problem is it, it doesn't, and, and I have the priority set in, um, you know, in my system preferences where on I have, your, you know, my base Mac. station is, is the most preferred one. But I thought behind the scenes that uh, if you were in iCloud, they would draw on that to kind of
1: prioritize. Because what happens is that's it doesn't right. switch over to my local network. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I thought that too with iCloud. Well, you know the way to test it is remove all of them from your Mac. Yeah, and uh, and reset networking on your iPhone, and then mm-hmm. only add networks to your Mac and see if it syncs out to your iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So you know, while we're talking about channels, I want to bring something up because this is this is sort of funny uh, in a not so much haha way we all embraced five gigahertz for many reasons. One of which was, Oh, finally, we don't have to deal with channel contention anymore. Um, and that's true. If you're running on, uh, 20 megahertz channels. Um, however, in order to get speeds out of, uh, five gigahertz we bond channels together sometimes into 40 and then with ac 802.11 ac into 80 megahertz channels so uh there are and and then uh to add a little bit of insult to injury uh there's the thing called dfs which is um uh, effectively says that if you're using a channel that's dfs enabled which is sort of the middle of our five gigahertz band that you need to uh, be ready at any time to shut down or, or go into lower power mode to allow uh, federal wireless communication to happen, which is fine. Okay. So if you take the DFS channels out, uh, we are left with four 40 megahertz channels uh, on, on five gigahertz. That is channel 36, channel 48, channel 149, and channel 161. So that's four. How, and then we can make it worse because 80 megahertz channels which is what we want uh for 802.11ac if we can get it uh is are, are now limited to two channels because you would be bonding 149 and 161 so you have the 149 channel or the 161 channel which would then bond down but either way those two are bonded together and then the lower two the uh 36 and 48 get bonded together as well so for five gigahertz 802.11 ac we now have not three channels like we do in 2.4 uh we have two channels that we can use without any overlap so same problem different day great isn't it john awesome that's awesome <laughs> i'll be on the ac bandwagon uh, soon i hope that's good yeah, yeah, I have a, I have all AC routers here. I don't have uh, an AC um, uh, uh, client yet, but I do have uh, at your at your suggestion. the uh, The Bear extender folks are are going to send me one of their USB. Oh, things, great!
0: Because so. I was going to say I have the opposite problem. Right. I have AC capabilities, but no, <laughs> no base that I own that right. supports AC, and right. None that I can find within scanning range. Right,
1: right. So, all right, and there's the band. So yeah there we go we made uh, i think we we offered some positive information John and we also made people's brains hurt uh with the uh time machine hard link discussion and maybe even with that channel's discussion right there but uh but hopefully hopefully we made sense of it all because it's what we do and uh and we already told you how to find us so we're even gonna leave that alone for now we're gonna we're gonna we're just gonna let it all ride anything uh you want to share before we start thanking people here, John? Are we good? Mm, nothing publicly, you know. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a good thing then. Uh, and yeah, next week we'll talk more about the, uh, the whole SSD thing. I will say, though, that uh, my son and I did the, another one of the iMac things yesterday with an SSD in it. And the fans work totally fine Without any special software So I'm sure we screwed something up We either pinched a, uh, a, a cable on the fan connector uh, Or simply didn't reconnect it properly Or it fell off the iMac Or hmm. any, any number of things but, uh, Or fell off the hard drive inside Because the tape was kind of old so, But anyway, uh, on that 2007 it works fine So that was good news <laughs> Alright, I do want to thank yeah. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and also from GetAppler.com. He converts this show to AAC, adds all those chapters, so thank you very much, Michael. And also Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you, and that's also a good thing because we need to get the show to you. You, you want to get it from us. The podcast Marketplace includes Barebone Software, of course, BB Edit and Yojimbo, Smile with Text Expander, PDF pen gazelle.com squarespace.com slash mgg linda.com slash mgg i fix it because those folks are awesome with mggs at their coupon code and also rage software with everweb we will see you next week well we won't see you but we will speak to you next week i believe the show will be on monday but it might be on sunday john i gotta look at the calendar but i'll do that afterwards between now and then have fun learn a lot and don't get caught made up